Hi, everybody. Today, we're really happy to welcome Sandra. Sandra's father passed away earlier this year. She was one of his main caregivers. And the whole experience was so hard for her, emotionally and physically. And even though they've been really close her entire life, expressing everything she wanted to say to him before he passed was so difficult. Let's get into it. My name is Sandra Almeida. I'm 33 years old, born and raised in Miami, Florida. I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm the daughter of two immigrant parents. My mom's from El Salvador. My dad was from Cuba. And growing up, I called my parents mommy y papi. We grew up in a very humble home. I was extremely close to my father. He was an extremely involved parent president of the PTA, the president of ESAC at my elementary school. He was an extremely independent, lively, hungry for life person. My dad was a lot older, 86 years old, driving himself to doctor's appointments, going to get cafecito at the little Antanita with his friends. He passed away in February. I really struggled and continue to struggle with how to care for myself in the middle of the pain and in the middle of the caretaking. At some point, he started getting random nosebleeds. He had also lost a significant amount of weight. So my dad went to go get blood work. The doctor called him the next day and said, call one of your daughters and have them take you to the emergency room now. My dad was such a brilliant man. He was in the ICU at that point. My dad says, do I have leukemia? <laughs> he guessed exactly what he had. I wanted to run and scream out of, out of the hospital room. But as a first generation child, you know that you have to step up for your parents and you have to be there for them in that moment. If he would have known that he literally had months at best, he would have gone in a, in a bad depression. He even warned us about that. He told us, like, I'm scared I'm going to get depressed. For perspective, it's my mom, myself, and my two sisters. We wanted to honor him and be honest that this was bad and that it was a battle. But we also wanted him to have hope. And that's why we never told him the time frame. He decided to get treatment. The doctors were very explicit in that this would only buy us months at best. Nothing else mattered except work and caretaking of my dad. Your dad wants water. Your dad wants a little massage because his feet hurt because a lot of leukemia is like aches and pains. We became like nurses. <laughs> I would walk away from my dad in the hallway and like cry it out for a second and then come back and pretend like I wasn't just crying. It's a lot to watch somebody wither away like that. When you know that your dad is dying, you feel this pressure, like in still moments, you feel like I can't just be still. 
I can't just be not talking to my dad. I don't know how many conversations I have left with him. I should be asking him questions. I should be asking him about his past. I should be asking him about his regrets. I should be asking him about his pride. I should be asking him, you know, his wishes, what he's achieved. I should be having these life-changing conversations with him because I don't know how many I have left. But you're balancing being in such pain that sometimes you do want to just be still. You're in this uncomfortable space of not knowing which way to go. Because in that time, it's all about your parent. Like what you need essentially doesn't matter. (laughs) We've always been a family that's very like open to express emotions. But I have to say during this time, there were topics that I wanted to touch with my dad that I felt I wasn't going to be able to keep it together. And I did not want to be crying in front of him. So I would just not touch the topic. The thing I most regret not telling my dad, and hopefully he hears it now. You know, I asked him, what's your biggest regret in life? And he told me, my biggest regret in life is that my parents died when I was so young. He was in his 20s. And I wasn't able to give them everything that they deserved. I wish in that moment I would have said, but dad, you gave us everything. But because it felt uh, very final, you gave us everything. Um, And so I couldn't say it because I wanted to keep it together for him. But I wish I would have said it. I'm so thankful to Sandra for coming on the show and sharing her beautiful story with us. Just having gone through that and being open and raw about what she went through is so inspiring. I'm really so thankful to her for that. In many of our families, it's really hard to talk about death at any given time, but it's especially challenging when a loved one that we've known our entire life is actually reaching the end of their life. So how can we as first gens speak openly about death with a parent or a loved one who we know is dying? What can we do to be present for them in the ways that truly mean something to them? And how can we care for ourselves in the process? To help us figure it out, I called in an expert. My name is Oceana Sawyer. I am a death doula, an end-of-life doula. And honestly, it was my father's passing that drew me into this work that was 12 years ago. Then I got some formal training. I've been a death doula now for, I don't know, I guess three years, three, four years now. So first of all, my condolences on the passing of your father. Tell me what it was that you discovered about yourself that helped you to say, oh, this is something I can do. Well, first, I just want to acknowledge this one thing. It's entirely ordinary. When you're there, you suddenly have like a remembering, a recollection like, oh, yes, this is what people used to do. They used to be at the bedside of the elder in the family who was dying and everybody was there. That is the thing, I guess, that grabbed me was here is like an an ordinary 
moment in life that everyone is afraid of. And yet it's really quite beautiful. There's this sort of like stillness that opens up with this other human being who is doing probably the the hardest thing they will ever do in a living body is they are exiting it. And yet there's this kind of grace. I don't have another word besides mythical grace. There is definitely a presence. And it's funny because when I experienced it with my father, mm-hmm. I was like, no, <laughs> it can't be happening. And I'm as woo-woo as it gets, let me tell you. Even I was like, no, this isn't happening. And I just said hello to the ancestors. Oh, hello. They're like, yes, thank you for acknowledging us. And we're not really here for you. You can watch, but please don't get in the way. We are here for him. I'm sure you had a lot of responses to Sandra's story. Like I wanted to wrap her up in my arms because mm-hmm. the role of the family caregiver is probably the hardest role there is. Mm. You know, everybody has this experience, no matter how good the death was. And it could be this glorious, love-filled experience. And afterwards, people have regrets. Mm. What I said to myself, and I'm saying to Sandra is, it's okay. You are going to have regrets. That's normal. And you did as good as you could do, as well as you could do in the moment. And you can't look back hindsight and go, oh man, I should have done this. Because hindsight, it's, you know, crystal clear. So it's not fair to judge yourself. Um, the, the piece I want to get to in this particular story, in Sandra's story, was I just thought it was so fascinating that she talked about how emotions were freely expressed in the family throughout life. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, they chose to do this other thing. By the way, that is also not unusual. People think, oh, they're dying. I should have it be as stressless as possible. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And people end up not saying the things because they don't want to say the wrong thing. But There's almost no way to say the wrong thing. In fact, when you actually confront the dying, the end, it's scary. I understand it. Nobody wants to talk about the finality of death. But there's actually a release that can happen in confronting it with the person. Because here's the truth. Most people, they already know they're dying. In themselves, in their body. Exactly. Even if they don't have a diagnosis, people think it's taboo to say, you know, I think you might be dying. Or let me tell you what happened to my mother with my mother. My mother died of stage four cancer. She would say things to me like, do you know where the money is? Or do you think Philip is going to be okay? And my brother, you know, these future things she wanted to make sure we're taken care of. Future casting. Exactly. And I would say to her, oh, mom, you're fine. I would brush it off. But then it kicked in, my, my doula spidey senses, right, kicked in. And so the next time she said it, mm-hmm. I just said to her, okay, I get it. You're dying. How do you want it to go? Wow. She did the sound. She said, she said mm. And you know, when your Black mama says to you, mm. It's an acknowledgement. You hit it. You exactly yep. nailed it. And then she changed the subject. But that moment of pause and the mm was recognition. 
everything changed from there. She was so grateful because what we did from there was we said all the things. We did all the things. And when she got the diagnosis, she was gone within seven days. Oh, my goodness. But we had done three months of saying goodbye. Now, it's not like my mom and I talked about her dying and what she wanted, but we did have a few conversations about, do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? So she gave some short answers. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it's okay. It was enough. And that's the other thing. If you're going to lean into that acknowledgement with somebody like, yeah, this is it. Then you have to be prepared to go at their pace. Let me interject for a second because I, I want to first acknowledge that there has to be a mutual understanding and recognition in all of the ways that the living who will remain are trying to comfort those who are going to pass. We should try not to exclude them. We should try not to keep things from them. We should have them be as engaged as they want to be and follow their lead. Let's talk a little bit about the responsibility, because as you said at the top, Sandra bore a lot of responsibility as the principal caretaker. So are there ways that first gens can, you know, handle the enormity of the moment that they're experiencing collectively with their families? Like, what is your guidance for that? You need a team. And to the extent that you can involve other people in the process and give yourself breaks. I hear a lot, plenty of stories of people who end up being the only person that has the, the wherewithal to be the caretaker. Like people have jobs or they have families or they live in another town. So it does fall on one person. And even in that situation, you can call on friends, local hospice organizations. I mean, Truly, if someone really is in active dying, they should be in hospice. It just takes a referral from the doctor. And sometimes people don't have doctors. They're being treated through a, basically through the emergency room. This hap- I hear the story a lot. Yeah. But what you do in that situation is, like if you're in the hospital and they're getting ready to discharge the person, you can ask, is there a social worker? Every hospital has a social worker. Or can I get a social worker assigned to this case? Because when this person goes home, there's not going to be adequate care for this person. Are there other resources? So let me ask you a really practical question, which is that a lot of Black and brown people are uninsured. Does it matter whether there is insurance or not in this conversation about getting the adequate care? Well, yes. The short answer is yes. But even in that case, I will say that hospitals, they have kind of a fiduciary responsibility Mm. to provide the best possible care they can. Now, of course, there's plenty of stories of hospitals discharging homeless people out onto the street. Yeah. But aside from that situation, if you are with someone who doesn't have insurance, you're the family member, you can just keep asking the question, what are the resources? the hospital will likely be able to either give you a public one or a charitable one. Mm. If they don't do that, you can actually call, start calling churches. If they can't provide that themselves, they will know of a social service that does. Also, too, I know it's embarrassing. I know it's hard. 
but just start putting on loudspeaker your challenges. You can start talking to your friends. You might be surprised what information or resources a person has. Mm. Um, and that's another thing. People get into shame or guilt spirals around caretaking people who are dying. And that's, again, very normal. But as much as possible, start talking out loud to people about what's going on and what you might need. It's also really better if you have a specific request of people. Can you come and be with my father for an hour while I take a break? Can you go and get some groceries? Can you just sit here while I take a walk? So, Oceana, my final question to you is, how does the caretaker take care of him or herself after the passing? Because often we've pressed pause on our entire life to focus on the person who is passing, and then we kind of like go back headfirst into it. So in my book, Life, Death, Grief, and the Possibility of Pleasure, one of the things I say is that all along the way, you could be looking for moments of joy. You could be cultivating moments of pleasure for yourself. I'm literally talking about stepping out of the room, walking into some fresh air, taking a deep breath, and putting your attention on something beautiful for even just a minute. Mm. That is enough resource to get you through the next few minutes. Then you are not completely burned out by the time the person has passed. And so what I suggest is that you ease in slow. Cut yourself some slack. Give yourself some grace. There's no going back to how your life was before. Your life is already different. So now what there is to do is to gently look for ways to create a new life for yourself. Go slow. Take breaks when you can. Treat yourself really, really well, just like you would your friend who lost their parent. You know, you would bring them flowers. You would cook them food. You would just hang out with them. And this is another opportunity, by the way, to give a specific ask. I hear this all the time, too. My friends act like nothing even happened. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's calling me. Nobody's coming by. To, no one's, I didn't have no support. Well, that's because people are afraid of doing what you were afraid of doing, <laughs> saying the wrong thing. We're so death phobic in this culture. We have no idea what to do around death. So we freeze. Right. So here's the thing you can do. You could give people specific tasks to do for you. And just know it's going to take a long time, far longer than you think. And that's okay. That's normal. Oh, Sienna. You are the perfect person to have this conversation with. I'm so thankful for you. Really, thank you so much. This is a delight. Thank you. Okay, here's what we learned from Oceana. Know that it is normal. Your reactions, feelings, and concerns when a loved one is dying can feel confusing, problematic, even shameful. All of it is entirely normal. Take comfort in that and do not beat yourself up about how you're feeling. Acknowledge the end. Openly confronting the finality of death 
with someone who is dying can pave the way for emotional release, acceptance, even peace. Just be mindful to follow their lead. And remember, make specific requests for support. Turn to your network, family, friends, colleagues. Speak openly, clearly, and concretely about what's going on and ask for support. Thank you for listening and sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of LWC Studios. Virginia Lora is our show's producer. Kojin Tashiro is our mixer. Elizabeth Nakano mixed this episode. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. And Juleka Lantigua is the creator and host. I'm senior editor Monica Lopez. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>